and good morning, Lighthouse. It's good to be here once again. It's a cold week here this week in Amherstburg, and I trust that God is continuing to encourage your life through the messages that we've been preaching on the book of Judges. We've been studying the life of Gideon. It's rather an intriguing one because there's so much to be learned from the life of Gideon. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, as you watch today, I was going to say this morning, but some of you are watching on Saturday nights or watching Sunday afternoon. You're watching different times. Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through to 15. Judges 7, 1 through to 15. We've often heard the idiom that uh, more is better. We often use it to express our thoughts when it comes to buying things at the store or buying perhaps produce. You say, well, if I can get stuff off the discount rack, I'll get more than if I buy stuff straight from the shelf. So we often like to get more because we th- having more of something is always seemingly better. Uh, there are times, though, when more really isn't better, especially if the quality isn't there. And sometimes when you go to the reduced rack at the, at the uh, no-frills in town, you realize when it's on the reduced rack, it means the lifespan of this fruit or perhaps bread that you're going to buy off the discount rack, it's not going to last quite as long. So you better want to eat a lot of bananas real quick or make some banana bread. But uh, sometimes you say, well, if I buy the stuff off the reduced rack, I'll have more money for myself. And, and that, that'll be a good thing because to, have, to get a better deal is always a great idea. But sometimes having more money because of being uh, careful with your money isn't always a really good thing. Uh, there can be a temptation when uh, to be more frivolous, I would say, and spend sometimes your money that you get saved because of your savings on sometimes on frivolous things. Uh, sometimes people say, well, to have more people attending church, that's a really good thing. But if it's done at the expense of watering down the gospel, where sin isn't mentioned, hell is never talked about, that's not so good. Then more is not always better. There are times we think that if we only had more money at church, we could do so much more for the kingdom of God, we could send more money to missionaries, we could have more of everything because we just need more, and then we could do more. But actually, one of the main principles and points I'll be talking about this morning is less is more actually in God's work. I'll repeat that phrase many times. Less is more actually in God's work. Sometimes we face impossible tasks, overwhelming odds, just for the purpose of God teaching us to trust Him in those situations. The second point that we're going to emphasize many times through the message is God specializes in the impossible. Uh, How do you know that, Pastor? Well, as I read through Scripture, I see many different illustrations. One is one. Abraham was told he would have a child when he was in his 90s. He was actually 100 years old. His wife was 90, and he was told that he was going to have a son. I told that to some of the seniors in our church who are actually 190, which we don't have those people that old at this point at Lighthouse. But I ever tell a couple, guess what? God is going to bless you, and you're going to have a child at 100 years of age. Our mouths would drop. We would go like, you've got to be kidding what did God say to Abraham at that juncture? In Abraham, eight, in, pardon me, in Genesis chapter 18, uh, verse 14, God says this, 
is anything too difficult for the Lord? God specializes in the impossible. Mary, who was a virgin, never been with any man, said she would become pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And in Luke 1, verse 37, again, she was told by the angel of God, for nothing will be impossible with God. God specializes in the impossible. I know we give lip service to it, but when we read those stories, we think, oh, how wonderful. But you know what's interesting is we sometimes tend to relegate that to, that, well, that happened in the Bible days, but it doesn't happen today. God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? So are you faced sometimes with an impossible task that you think uh, it's too big, it's too hard for me to get through? Uh, and so in today's sermon, we're going to address those two themes. Less is more with God. And secondly, God specializes in the impossible. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer as we study his word. Father, I thank you for the inspired, inerrant word of God. I thank you, Lord, that your word speaks to our hearts, no matter who we are, no matter what place we come from, Father. And I pray today as we look at your word, and as people are listening online today, that you through your Holy Spirit would guide them into your truth. Father, we need your Holy Spirits to kind of take the word of God that's being shared and taught and spoken, and that you'll drive it home to our hearts so that we'll really listen to hear your voice speaking to us. So Lord, may we say, speak, Lord, because we are listening. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So we are in Judges chapter 7, and we're picking it up at verse 1 through to 14. And we read, Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. The Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom you, I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you, and any of the one whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below them in the valley. The same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go against this camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. 
and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against this camp. Then he went down with Purah his servant to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp, and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, as the sand is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. He said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. His comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given to his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, verse 15, he worshipped and returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Uh, We said less is war with God, and we say that God specializes in the impossible. What a passage to read. As you read that, you go, my goodness, God was really at work in that situation, wasn't he? Well, God, my friend, is still at work today. So in the very first verse of chapter 7, the author refers to Gideon as Jerubbabel. Kind of an interesting way of doing that. It's a reminder that Baal is an incompetent God who cannot alone deliver, you know, alone provide for the people of God. An incompetent God. It's also a note that even a fearful man like Gideon is able to put the boots to Baal. See, God is going to provide deliverance through a man who lacks courage, question God as to his identity, ask for verification from God to really prove that's exactly what you said, God. That's the kind of man that God's going to use to deliver Israel. That should put each one of us in good, in good standing. Because so often we read in Scripture that, and we often see that God chooses men that are valiant, men that have great strength, men that, no, that's not who God uses. God uses men who are weak, men who are fearful, men who are trembling, men who are struggling. That's the kind of people God uses. That should encourage us. Because oftentimes we we look at ourselves and say, how can God use me? Well, look at Gideon's life. And as you look at Gideon's life, it should encourage you to realize that God specializes in using people who are fearful, who are trembling, who are struggling, who don't have it all together. Those are the kind of men and women that God uses to carry out his plan in this world. Gideon has blown the trumpet. 32,000 men have rallied around him to fight the enemy. 32,000 versus 135, the odds still aren't very good. Even though he's got 32,000 men, there's 135,000 Midianites. Yeah, that's still a huge challenge because you're outnumbered. You're outgunned. It's not going to look good. I think Gideon must have felt really, in a sense, overwhelmed at the prospect of going to war against such odds. Even though God said, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to deliver them into your hand. There's a challenge for each one of us to put our faith and confidence in God when God says in His Word, I will be with you. 
And so often, my friend, we find ourselves in situations where we're struggling and we're going like, and we're looking at situations and we're blowing them out of proportion in our minds and we're thinking, this isn't looking good. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. And God says, wait a minute. You're my son. You're my daughter. I will walk with you. That's all you need. Yeah. Uh, this is where things get interesting. Let's look at the next verse. The Lord said, verse 2, to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God doesn't want us to brag for something we have not done. How do we know that? Well, if you go back, this, this whole principle is, is found all throughout Scripture, but the earliest ones I could find was I found in Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 to 18 where God is talking to the nation of Israel before they go into possess the land of Canaan. And he says this, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your gold and silver is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, that your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water and brought you water out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to, you, to do good in the end. And then he says in verse 17, Beware! lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Then we jump to verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is in this day. See, God in the past had challenged Israel against pride in accomplishments that God had provided and given them. You know, that still applies to you and I today. Sometimes when we accomplish great things and do wonderful things, we can, come, we can walk around like this and go like, oh yeah, I'm pretty good. I really pulled it off. Don't even go there. God hates pride. He abhors pride. When God blesses you and blesses the work of your hands, you are to acknowledge Him and say, God, I'm thankful for how you have blessed me because I couldn't do this without your strength in my life. That's the attitude of every God-fearing believer, to give credit and glory to God for what happens in their life so that God always gets the honor and glory. But what God was saying to Gideon in this passage is, you're too big for me to bless. I need to cut down your numbers because I'm afraid. And God was fearful. He, he, he didn't have to be fearful. He knew that if he delivered the nation of Israel from the Midianites with the 32,000, that Israel would go around going like, yep, we did it. And that's the last thing he wanted. Isn't it funny that sometimes you can be too big for God to use? Let's be honest, we all struggle with pride. We sometimes take pride in our accomplishments, we take pride in different things, and God said, you're going to take the glory that belongs to me, and guess what, I'm not going to work in your life. Because I'm not about building pride in people. 
I'm about building uh, a sense of dependence in people. God wants us to be a people that are dependent upon a holy God for everything we have and everything that goes on in our lives. God just isn't interested in giving us people victory. He wants us to trust Him in every challenging circumstance. Have you learned that? Have you learned in every challenging circumstance, Lord, I need you, I need you, and I need you. And then I'm willing to humble myself and say, oh God, I need you to get me through this because without your strength, I can't make it. And when God sees that, He blesses us and He works in us. Those who exalt themselves, God says, I will humble. And those who humble themselves before God, God says, I will exalt. Our victories sometimes tend to make us self-reliant. And that is a disaster in God's eyes. When we become reliant upon, oh, I don't need God. I, I can do this on my own. So when we see God come through for us, and people begin to go like this, and it goes through our head, and we take pride and credit for God has done, God says, you know what? That's a sad day because God hates that kind of pride. To God be the glory, great things he has done. In James 4, 6, we read, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The greatness of God should be a cure for our fears regarding our inadequacies and weaknesses. We look to, the, to God and the majesty of all he's created. It should humble us and say, what is man that thou art mindful of him? It's also the greatness of God that should st stop us from having any sense of pride or arrogance in our lives. Remember that the victory in our lives comes from him who loves us and gave himself for us. If you want to take credit for what God's doing in your life, He's not going to use you. Because God hates that boasting and pride that's just, it's an abomination in His sight. See, God works in powerful people around you who are careful to give credit to God for all He has done. I know here at Lighthouse, we're grateful to God for the different things that have happened in this church from almost four years ago when it needed a new roof, and it needed this, and it needed that. We prayed for God to bless. And it has nothing to do with this pastor. Hear me loud and clear. It has everything to do with what God can do through people that believe and pray and seek His face. I take no pride in what's been accomplished here. I'm proud of the fact that God came through, and that God provided, and what God did. We are servants. And we are to remain humble and pray that he will use us. Well, if Gideon felt in any way insufficient with 32,000 men, God will now reduce his resources by a two-step process. God says, Gideon, you're too big. Got to shake it up a little bit. He doesn't want anybody to take the credit for the victory that God's going to bring through this motley crew of followers that are following after Gideon. Why did God bring the reduction? Two points. One, man's pride to God's glory. Now he says in verse 3, Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. 
Oh, brother, you say, this is not looking good. However, in Deuteronomy, God gave these instructions to the nation of Israel way back when. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 20, verse 1 through to 4. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. Against your enemies. Give him and he will give you the victory. Then he says in verse 8, And the officer shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful or faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his followers melt like his own. He said, man, if you're afraid, you're panicking, go home because we don't want you infecting the rest of the people with that kind of ideology. You know, compared to the size of this eastern coalition of Amalekites and Midianites that had gathered to do damage to Israel, there's a sense that I'm sure that the men had good reason to be faint-hearted because the tasks seem insurmountable. So 22,000 men, we're afraid, we're going home. Gideon's probably having a heart attack when he sees 22,000 men pick up and say, we're going home, man, we're not, we're not sticking around for the battle. He's probably thinking, okay, Lord, 22,000, we've got 10,000 left. We're good, right? Uh, not so. Pick it up in the next verse, verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. Man, this has got to stretch Gideon's faith. I'm telling you, it would stretch my faith. Where it gets 135,000, we're down to now uh, with 22,000 men going home. We've got 10,000 left. And God says, you got too many. And you go like, really, Lord? It's, it's already, the odds are against us. But remember, God is not in the business of building our self-confidence, but rather our dependence upon him. He'll strip away all our resources so that we can trust only in God alone. So sometimes God will take you down to your last nickel, your last dime, and you think, well, I've got nothing. I don't know how I'm going to even get through. And then God comes through. Isn't that amazing how he does that? It's another test for Gideon and another test for Israel. So again, a reminder, God tests his people. And the Lord said to Gideon, going back to the scriptures here, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who have lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. This is the test of the lappers and the kneelers. That's how you would put it. Uh, the test, to a certain degree, reveals the attitude, I think, of the soldiers. Those who lapped up the water would not be looking for the enemy because they're sitting there drinking, oh man, I'm so thirsty. Whereas the other ones are actually on, on one knee, lapping and looking 
in keeping vigilant because the enemy is around. And so we see that out of this whole test in verse 6, that with the 300 men who had lapped on bended on one knee, he said, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and all the others will go every man to his home. God was reducing the number of Israelite soldiers so that no one could boast and God would get the glory. The odds, by the way, 450 to 1. How do you like those odds? God says, not a problem. These men were prepared for battle since God had stripped away anything that could keep them from fully trusting in God. God likes to strip away everything. So we say, Lord, I cast myself upon you, and Lord, you've got to come through because I've got nothing. And God says, that's exactly what I wanted all along, for you to acknowledge that, number one, you needed me, Number two, that you can't do it on your own. And three, that you're going to depend upon me to see you through this. You need to grow in your faith. You need to go in your trust and believe that I am a God of the impossible. The author of Judges informs us that the 300 men were given jars, torches, and trumpets. We'll talk about that in the next message. And they were sent to their tents. I don't think at this point that Gideon would have slept very well at this point. You and I in that situation would have been fearful, or putting in the vernacular, freaking out. But God appears to him again. And Gideon is probably thinking, oh no, what now? But we notice in verse 9, the same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down to the camp, for I've given it into your hand. See, God knows Gideon very, very well. This time, God appears to him to give him assurance. Notice what God says to Gideon in verse 10. But if you are afraid to go down, oh yeah, I would be, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. I'm not sleeping now. I'm, I've lost so many men. I'm down to 300. I might as well go for it. And Gideon will hear what he needs to hear to encourage him in the battle that lays ahead of him. He implicitly obeys God. He said, what choice did he have? Well, we always have a choice as to whether we obey or not. And this is what he hears. Look in your Bibles in verse uh, 12. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. Their camels were without number and the sand, as the sand on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. He said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camel, into the camp of the Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, there is, this is no other than the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given in them into his hand Midian and all the camp. What's amazing, and we need to take this away, God was already at work preparing for the victory in advance of the, fa the battle that Israel was going to fight. 
What a way to immobilize and demoralize the enemy. Give them dreams that cause, give them nightmares about being taken over by Gideon. As Gideon realized, as he listened to this, he realized this was not a battle of 300 men and 135,000 men, but rather it was a battle between God and the forces of evil. Now notice Gideon's response in verse the next verse. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, verse 15, he worshipped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given us the hosts of Midian into our hand. It's been said by Dr. Gary Enrig, it's been said we're not prepared to battle until we know what it is to bow down and worship before God. I really like that phrase, that statement. It's been said we're not prepared to battle until we know what it is to bow down and worship before God. Gideon worships God. What an amazing way for God to confirm the victory before the battle even started. You've often heard, the battle is the Lord's. Sometimes, folks, we, we get ourselves in a situation, circumstances in our lives, and we're, we're trying to fight these battles in our own strength. There's so many different challenges that we face, and God's saying, the battle's mine. The battle's mine. I'm in charge. I'm a sovereign God over the affairs of men. Just give it over to me and let him handle it. How many times have you gone to bed, you've not even slept, you've struggled in your mind over circumstances, issues, whatever thing, and God is just saying to you as his son and his daughter, what are you struggling for? Really, what are you struggling for? And you say, well, I'm struggling because, well, as our Heavenly Father, he said, just give it to me. I'll look after it. And sometimes that's such a challenge. Sometimes we're good at that. We, when we face a struggle, Lord, I'm giving it into your hands, and we take it up again. And we struggle, and we let our mind go crazy with this stuff. And God says, give it back. The battle is mine. And so God was going to win this battle through weak instruments like Gideon, and his men. See, whenever there's a clear command in Scripture, we're to seek to obey it in every detail we know. Sometimes God may reduce our resources to almost nothing in order for us to realize it is by His power alone that we can be victorious and His strength, Scripture says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul testified that when God had said to him, my grace is sufficient. That's in first, Second Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. My grace is sufficient for you. For power, my power, is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast, this is the Apostle Paul, about my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak then I am strong. Well, what's that mean for you and I? It means that I realize that every day I'm a dependent person. I'm dependent on God for his strength. I'm dependent on God for his wisdom. I'm dependent on God for everything that happens in my life because I want God to be the leader of my life. I want him to guide me. He is my Lord. He is my Savior, but he's also my guide. Gideon's story proves that when we at our, our least, 
God can be at His greatest. When we are at our least, then God can be at His greatest. Like well, it, we may think that we are proving God, but actually it's God proving us. Yet all the while, in grace and mercy, He is giving us far more than we could legitimately ask or expect because He knows and understands our needs. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. We are to take seriously the words of Jesus when He said to His disciples, Without me, you can do nothing. John 15, verse 5. See, if we really truly identify with Gideon, it should drive us to our knees. Seeking from God to rightly discern what He is calling us to do, and secondly, that we might have the faith to believe that He will do it through us. Folks, we're a dependent people. And we need to realize in our lives, like Matt Maher says in his song, Oh Lord, I need you every hour I need you. It was also him that went along with those, that very same tune. And again, the idea is that God is most glorified when we are at our weakest. And sometimes God will, as I said earlier in the message, strip away all our resources so that His glory, His majesty might be manifest through our lives. So when people see what's going on, they're going to go like, well, that's not Him. That's not her. It's got to be God. And God says that's wonderful because as His instruments, as His servants, it should be our heart's desire that God would be glorified. So when people see what we're doing and what we're about, they will for glorify God say, God, you've done such a fantastic work in that person's life. Well, that's amazing what you've done because it had to be you, Father, because it definitely wasn't them. And God just delights in taking earthen vessels so that they might be vessels of honor and vessels of glory for his use. And, and that's my prayer for you as you've listened to this message, that maybe God might have taught you that lesson that less is more with God. That God specializes in the impossible. And that means he can use you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts. I'm grateful, Lord, for your word. I'm grateful, Father, that you've chosen to use me. You've chosen many of us, Lord, to, to live for you, to be your vessels of honor and glory. So, Lord, magnify your name through us. May we in humility say, oh, Lord, I need you. And not only do we need you, Father, but we need to be obedient to what you teach us. Help us not to be arrogant. Help us not to be prideful. But help us to glory. And they were chosen of God to be vessels of honor and glory for you. Well, Father, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.